Welcome back to Sexuality and Fetish with me, Mistress Harley, world-famous dominatrix. Yeah, I've been on a break since, I don't know, July of 2022. I've had so many fun and hot adventures and things to do, and honestly, I'm just a hot, rich bitch who's always doing whatever she wants, so yeah, I tend to forget about little things like podcasts, but... One of my fans recently reminded me, he was like, oh my God, Mistress Harley, I love your podcast so much. When are you doing another podcast? And I said, I don't know, when you pay me? (laughs) So after sending me like $2,000, I decided that I would give you guys another podcast. Isn't that fucking nice of me? Aren't I the fucking sweetest? So you can thank me with your tributes on mistressharley.com. But today I have some topics I've been saving up and I really wanted to cover the idea of addiction in particular because one of my favorite shows is back on TV, My Strange Addiction. My favorite thing about My Strange Addiction is that it's basically a TV show about people who are weird sex fetishists. Yeah, there are some people with pika, which means that they eat non-food items like the wall or their couch or entire cars. So if you're a TV person, it's worth watching just for that. But it's mostly weird sex fetishists and everyone wants to know about them. The whole reason there's a TV show about sex fetishists is because people are interested. And some of these sex fetishes range from drinking urine to having sex with cars to being addicted to getting bigger and bigger breast implants and plastic surgery. You're familiar with some of these, but I think the adult babies are always ones that get a lot of airtime. But my favorites are the people who are obviously in romantic relationships with non-human objects, like the pansexual polyamorous autophiliac who's in love with his car. And just when you think he's like in forever love with his car, he gets rid of his car and gets a new car. And he still has the other car, but he's in a relationship with multiple cars. Can you say 40-year-old virgin? And really, it's this incredible way that mainstream TV loves to get porn on television. They can't actually show you this guy banging out his car or how he likes to give it oral. He does show you kissing the car, caressing the car, smooching the car, but you know he puts his dick in that car somewhere. And quite frankly, I don't care. I'm glad that he has a happy and loving relationship with as many cars as he wants. That way, he's not out there bothering any women. And as I so often point out, the social crime that men commit is forcing their interests onto other women like women fucking care about their tiny penises or what they want in the bedroom. So I actually applaud the men who find ways to have relationships with inanimate objects. It's better for everybody in the long run every anyway. And it's not like they're hurting anybody. But that brings me to my topic today, which is porn on TV. 
Yeah, and it's not porn on TV like you're thinking. I'm not talking about how the Brits have their after-hours nudie girl programs. No. I'm not talking about French films. No. I'm talking about how in the U.S., pornography is so heavily censored that there are words that you cannot say. There are things you cannot even allude to, but you can have these exact same topics on mainstream television, and they are just packaged in a slightly different way, meaning that major production companies like TLC, Fox, the Disney Channel, I mean, really, all of these people can make money off of the most taboo and pornographic content in the world, while hardworking porn producers are not even allowed to say the word mother, not unless you say the word stepmother. So, I always do have a nice little format to this show, and I haven't taken listener phone calls in a long ass time. So I'm going to do some listener mail, and then I will expand on why Game of Thrones can have as much sister fucking as it wants, but you cannot do a completely fictional role-play pornographic video where you say you're fucking your sister, where you're an actor and the lady is an actor. So that's our topic today, but let's get to some listener mail. Hello, Mistress Holly. I'm a Danish pig. I'm old, and I want to ask you, is is it a sin uh, to leave uh, the owner for another uh, dome? Thank you. So this bitch asks, is it a sin to leave the woman that I say owns me for another dom? Well, my immediate answer to this is if you are capable of leaving the woman that owns you for someone else, she didn't own you in the first place. You know, there are so many ways to own a pig. You can have information control, social media control, data control. You can have them locked in chastity with an actual physical key. You can make sure that they literally cannot function in life without you. So if you don't need your dom, if you are not reliant on your dom, if you don't depend on her for something, then how could she own you? If you're capable of leaving her for someone else, you were never owned in the first place. Now, how about the next caller? Um, your French slave, of course. Um, today I wanted to ask you a useful question, maybe for our next topic. Uh, I wanted to have your feeling about the difference between, uh, inescapable debt contract and blackmail my thought is inescapable debt contract can be associated with blackmail as there are several consequences bad consequences if we don't pay the debt so on your point of view what is your feelings about difference between inescapable debt contract and blackmail thank you mistress you might have recognized the voice of my French slave, Vincent Hubert. He's been exposed in so many videos and featured on this podcast before. So he wants to know what is the difference between an inescapable debt contract and blackmail. 
For those of you that don't know, I do debt contracts with some of my slaves. They pay for me to have a lawyer write up a contract that says they owe me a specific amount of money that they'll pay back at a specific amount of time at a specific rate of interest. And if they don't, they're associated penalties and fees. Many of these debt contracts, they ask for to be cruel and ruthless with raising interest rates so that they could never possibly pay them off, so that they could never possibly actually get out of debt. And what are the consequences of not paying your debt? Well, the same as they are with any other company. I will send letters to you. I can send your debt to a debt collection agency. Because I have my slaves sign a thing called a stipulated judgment, I can even sue them, putting their name on public record next to my name saying that they owe me money. And that's how I make my debt contracts inescapable for all the amateurs out there trying to be me. But what is blackmail? The word blackmail is associated with an illegal activity, which is the unauthorized use of your materials, information, or some other privileged content to get something out of you. Now, what is the difference between these two things? As the law would see it, the difference is consent. You can get into all kinds of situations. Think about credit card agreements, payment agreements, phone contracts. There are all kinds of unfair contracts in the world. There's no law that protects you from signing an unfair contract. If you read and sign a blatantly unfair contract, that's on you. The court sees it that way, and the day that contracts are not recognized in court is the day our entire legal system in every country falls apart. So that is a debt contract. Blackmail would be when somebody uses your information without your permission, meaning that I hacked into your system without your permission, I stole your dirty pictures without your permission, and now I'm extorting you using those things without your permission. Yes, blackmail is a fantasy a lot of men have. They really do. It goes back to this idea about force and coercion, and I have a whole podcast on why people fetishize force and coercion that you can go back and listen to if you're interested or turned on by the topic. But ultimately, when we play with these ideas in BDSM, which is consensual power, control, and exchange, When we do that, we're not doing crimes. The same way if we're doing rape play, where my partner knows that I'm going to come home with a giant strap-on dildo, and they're going to pretend they don't know I'm coming home, and then I'm going to take them by surprise and do them in the ass. If we've talked about that and agreed about that beforehand, it is not rape. It is rape play. The same way blackmail fetishism is not real blackmail. It's blackmail play. Now, there have been instances where blackmail has gone wrong, and it's usually when people don't take the proper precautions to make sure that they're in a fully consensual relationship, which usually means discussing beforehand what everybody's trying to get out of this relationship, what everybody wants from the relationship, and of course, what the agreed upon terms of are. Now, I always tell my slaves that I don't do anything illegal because I'm too rich to do anything illegal. It's too profitable for me to stay on the straight and narrow. 
which means I really make an effort to make sure my slaves understand that there are consequences to their actions. If you send me your photos, I own them. If you send me voice samples like Vincent does, I own them. So that's a way that you can kind of, in a legal way, get blackmailed. And I think that's what Vincent is really asking about. Is a debt contract a legal form of blackmail? Absolutely. The same way a credit card contract is a legal form of blackmail. Well, if you don't pay your credit card bills and pay 25% interest, we're going to sue you and garnish your wages. So is it blackmail? Is it just terms that people agree to? Ultimately, it doesn't matter how you conceptualize the power exchange dynamic. What matters is that it's a consensual exchange. And once you've entered into a consensual contract, then there's really nothing you can do. <laughs> but now let's get back to my topic today, which is porn on TV, and why there's so much censorship of actual pornography and pretty much no censorship of the topics that you can cover on television. So I can't stop thinking about fucking Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones and George R.R. R. Martin are obviously perverts. They're full of perversion. And I just don't understand why HBO can make a multi-season show where the protagonists are brother and sister who fuck each other, but you cannot say that you are having sex with your sister as a porn actor on Pornhub or on any porn website run by Visa MasterCard. I've given interviews before with Vice uh, about how banks can ruin your sex life. Go ahead, Google Mistress Harley, how banks can ruin your sex life. And you'll see in that article where I gave an interview all about the Visa MasterCard censorship of your sex life. So pretty much anywhere Visa MasterCard is accepted, they have to abide by these really archaic rules. But if you're big enough, then of course you don't have to abide by the rules. So there's all these rules for porn. Let me tell you all the words you cannot say in pornography. It's like George Carlin's uh, Seven Dirty Words, except it's all the words you can say on TV, but not porn. Incest, sister fuck, mom, dad, limp. Like you can't say limp dick because people used the word limp to mean like passed out person. You also can't use passed out, intox, hypnotize. You can't use mind control. You can't talk about anything that could imply any sense of non-consensuality whatsoever. Not in porn. In porn, which is famously often not real, which is full of actors saying lines. This comes back to another podcast I've talked about, which is race play. Leonardo DiCaprio can say the N-word in Django Unchained, but I cannot say the N-word in a pornographic video that an African-American person has paid me to say. 
Why? Because porn sites are so concerned with protecting people against exploitation and non-consensual acts that they've gone too far. They've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Why do people like pornography? Because it's taboo. Because it shows them the fantasies they have. Sometimes fantasies that are not even real. Fantasies that they do not even want to happen in real life. There's a whole genre of fantasies that could never actually occur. My favorite is centaur fucking. That you could never actually fuck a centaur in real life. You can't. They don't exist. But you can have centaur fucking in like an imaginary like Bojack Horseman kind of way. But you can't have imaginary centaur fucking in pornography because that's an animal and bestiality is illegal. I'm not saying that bestiality should be legal. No. Bestiality should be illegal. Animals cannot consent. Period. But fantasizing about imaginary half-man beasts, like, why is that a censored topic? Who does that actually fucking hurt? It's the end of free speech. All art inspires feelings. Like, that's the whole point of art. Imagine if other forms of art got censored because it made people mad. Imagine if people were so mad about a painting that they made it so that no one could ever paint those paintings ever again. It's the end of free speech. They've compartmentalized art into different feelings. And by that, I mean society is telling you what you are allowed to feel and what you are allowed to think about. Because of rules around pornography, art has actually been compartmentalized. It's been compartmentalized into fine art, low art, crafts, porn. It's all these different categories because what really is happening is the mainstream is afraid of admitting how much real art is porn and how much porn is real art. Because if you look at a piece of art and you feel a feeling, if it makes you cry, if you look at a Degas or a Rothko or a Picasso or a Warhol, I have a dolly hanging on my fucking wall. If you look at a dolly and it makes you feel feelings and you cry, the whole art community is like, oh my God, it's like art. Art is like, makes you feel feelings. But God forbid you feel arousal. That is an illegal feeling, a forbidden feeling. And if you feel arousal, that is pornography. And that must be kept away from the eyes of all people who do not want to see it or shouldn't see it. And who decides what is pornography? We always come back to this same argument. Is the statue of Michelangelo's David pornography because you can see his flaccid penis? Does that mean all flaccid penises are not pornography? Does that mean I can make a video with a flaccid penis and it's not pornography? No, because it was made by Michelangelo during the Renaissance. It's fucking odd. But don't forget that the Vatican put a fig leaf over his dick for hundreds of years. So even the church doesn't know what porn is. If you look at the Mona Lisa who's fully clothed with her weird little half smile, you know there's that fetish? C-N-N, -N, no wait, clothed female, naked male, C-F-N-M. Yeah, that is an actual fucking fetish, my people. 
clothed female, naked male. So how about all those statues of like the Virgin Mary who was clothed holding naked baby Jesus? Is that pornography? Oh my God, naked babies? That's not allowed in fucking anything. These days, parents aren't even allowed to have pictures of their kids in the bathtub that are completely non-sexual. You know, like you're in the bath playing with a rubber duck and you're covered in bubbles and your mom takes a picture because she's like, look at my baby. That is now pornography. So do you see how everything is getting sliced and diced to the point where everybody can become a criminal, even if it's only in thought? But cis white men like George R.R. Martin can make a million dollars writing about sister fucking, brother fucking, mother fucking. Like, my God, what fetishes does George R.R. Martin not cover? In the first season of Game of Thrones, we see a minor, Daenerys Targaryen, get raped. And we see incest in like the very first episode with the two Lannisters banging it out. Like, is there any fetish that he doesn't cover? Oh, there's enslaved men who fall on their swords for the queen. That's totally a fetish. Uh, There's people getting massages. That's totally a fetish. Oh, there's that scene where Caesarian, she has to to walk down the street and she's naked and they've cut her hair and people are throwing shit at her. That is full-on public humiliation fetish. Do not think that people weren't jerking it to all of these scenes at some point or another while they're watching this TV show. If the TV show turned people on, even if it's accidental, doesn't that make it pornographic? I'm just fucking saying. Like, why is it that these topics are all allowed for white men to make money off of, but not porn stars? So is it just straight sexism? Is it just that Visa MasterCard wants HBO and Showtime and Cinemax and the major cable networks to be the only ones that profit off sex and exploitation and these ideas and fetishes that people have? Is it that simple that HBO wants to be able to show their after hours and, you know, remember real sex and taxicab confessions? They were showing people fucking, but they did it in a documentary style. You see, it was like a documentary, so it wasn't pornography. Remember, it's not TV. It's HBO. It's not porno. It's HBO. Even though it's the exact same shit you would see on Pornhub. I would also like to know, in retrospect, when they go to those sex clubs, do they get everybody to sign the waiver? Do they make sure that every single person is over the age of 18? Do they have to submit the same 2257 compliance documentation that pornographers have to have? I mean, I'm just asking these questions. If you remember, I made a video, which you can see on my YouTube channel. Just look at Mistress Harley's YouTube channel. If you look at this video I made, it was all about how Pornhub can accept PayPal, even though PayPal is clearly anti-sex work, censors and deletes sex workers from their platform. So I made this video on YouTube and I talked about it with Vice. I was like, why is Pornhub allowed to use PayPal when other porn producers are not? And guess what? I killed PayPal's relationship with Pornhub. I didn't mean to. I wasn't like trying to get Pornhub. 
I just pointed it out. I was like, hey, why are these fucks able to use PayPal and I can't fucking use PayPal? Because every time I try to fucking use PayPal, they say I'm doing a terms of service violation, but somehow Pornhub fucking isn't? Like, come on. So I guess I killed Pornhub. Sorry. But really, Pornhub killed Pornhub. I complained that Pornhub did not make people do 2257 documentation, which would prove that they were over 18 and had consented to being on Pornhub. I complained that Pornhub was allowed to use PayPal when no one else was. And I don't know, does anyone even use the hub anymore? Or have they switched to newer, better platforms that also don't fucking use PayPal? As a reminder, crypto is your friend. So that wraps up this week's podcast with me, Mistress Harley, preventing you from thinking that your sex life isn't being censored and helping you recognize all the places that porn and fetishism and taboo creeps into your life, your Twitter stream, your TV stream, your favorite shows, and how completely contradictory this whole fucking system is. And it really is. So Anchor turned into Podcasters app. I don't know if you can send me your questions on the Podcasters app, but you can always send me your questions on Twitter at techdom, T-E-C-H-D-O-M-M-E. You can find links to all of my socials, all of my feeds, all of my videos, and everything else at mistressharley.com. That's right, mistressharley.com. Now, maybe if you are good enough listeners, I'll do another podcast before next year. (laughs) Bye, bitches! Sexuality and Fetish Podcast with Mistress Harley is owned by TIR Consulting, including all intellectual property, trademarks, and copyrights. Music is by Mistress Harley. You can find all of Mistress Harley's content, links to everything on mistressharley.com.